I retired on April 1st from Calvary and sometime in April from working as a chaplain at Fairhaven. And so I'm here today to talk to you about something I'm now an expert on, which is retirement. Okay? If you're trying to figure out what retirement is, what you don't want to do is get a dictionary and look up the word. Because if you look up the word retire in Webster's Dictionary, it says, to retire is to leave one's job and cease to work. That sounds like getting fired to me. <laughs> this is not like retirement. Um, and no wonder a lot of people dread retirement because if you have job or work or job skills that you love and enjoy using, the thought of just throwing them away and saying, okay, I've done that long enough, I'm done with that, is terrifying to you. It would be to me as well. When I was, I think, 19, maybe the end of 18, I felt called to be a pastor. Okay. I don't now have the capacity at 70 to shift gears and say, I'm done being a pastor. Okay. So that's not what retirement is to me. question we start with is, what is retirement to you? How do you think about retirement? Chances are, if you dread or fear it, okay, you're looking at it all wrong. It's not something to be feared. It's something to be anticipated and enjoyed. I'm going to share with you three concepts that I think make up meaningful retirement. First, retirement means the freedom to live the last stage of life more simply. I don't know if you notice, but as you move through life from the beginning of adulthood, you've all started that up, haven't you? Okay. And you're moving through adult life. Life gets with every passing day more and more and more complicated, does it not? Okay. Even if you think about the American dream stuff, Getting married, having a family, buying a house, buying a bigger house, all those things. Those are all awesome things and great goals to have. But every time you take another step in that direction, life gets a whole lot more complicated, right? So what retirement can be is put an end to the complications. Simplify. Some people do it by uh, you had a gigantic house. Now you raise kids in that house and you're kind of identified with that house. But now half the rooms are empty and you spend all your time trying to get the lawn mowed and the like. And you're going like, you know, now that I'm retired, I really need to simplify. And it may just be downsizing a little bit. Or uh, I've always said the whole time I was working, if I had more time, I'd try this. I'd do this. I'd get one of these. Well, now's the time for doing it. Simplify your life by stop spending time on things that just help you stay where you're at. Invest in things that give you opportunities to do more than you've ever done before. Second, retirement means the opportunity to do work you really enjoy without requiring any income in return. Okay? Um... I like being a pastor and doing pastoral ministry. I can do it in America and make a reasonable income to live off of. That was a pretty good deal for a while. Okay? But the truth is that that forced me to do both ends of a job. And you know that your job, even if you love your job, has both ends. Which is the things you like about your job and the things you detest about your job. Okay, And so um, when I was working as a pastor and getting paid for it, guess which half I had to do? Both halves. <laughs> okay, You can't be successful. Now, you enjoyed certain things and other things you just tolerated. Some people think it's funny about me, but one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is funerals. Yeah, And one of my least favorite things to do is... Weddings, yeah, exactly. And by the way, if you talk to pastors and they give you a moment of honesty, 90% of them will say exactly the same thing, okay? And the, and the thing is, but guess which I did? 
Well, you did both. Which did you do well? Well, you worked hard at doing In fact, you might have had to work harder at doing well the things you don't like because when you like it, it just has its own energy in life and you just do it. But now I'm retired. So I can still do the work I love and not do the parts I don't like. Okay? Uh, I, I am working with another pastor in Mexico who's a missionary who gets paid full dime through donors. And so I work with him. And lately, I've been preaching more than he has. I've been teaching more than he has. I've been doing outreach more than he has. But guess what? I don't make any decisions or do anything I don't want to do. He gets to do that because he gets paid. I don't get paid, so I don't have to do them, right? So I love what I'm doing because I'm doing the same thing I did here in a different culture and not getting paid for it. Guess what? If you don't get paid, you can't get fired. It's awesome. So if you're a people pleaser, which, which I'm not, but all of us got a little bit in that, that all goes away because you're going, so they're mad. Who cares? Okay? I'm just doing what I do, right? And the final thing is the choice of a new environmental context in which to explore new adventures and challenges. While you're keeping up a big house, even though you don't have anybody to live in it anymore, and you're spending all your energy and money on keeping the lawn up and repairing the roof, right? You're not doing things that you could do at that time that will be amazingly fulfilling. And so I was ready for that. So that's my idea of retirement. Now, my new environment that I chose for this purpose is Puerto Vallarta, Jalisco, Mexico. I know it's hard to see because besides USA and Mexico, the print's kind of small. But if you go down the California coast of Mexico, okay, the west coast of Mexico, and you go about halfway down and there's a little bump like this, that's where Puerto Vallarta is. If you go to the middle of the country, you see Mexico City, largest city population-wise in the world, over 5 million people, in a little further toward the coast, Guadalajara, about a million and a quarter people. Right on the coast, Puerto Vallarta, you see the two words, so you can probably see it's two words. Puerto Vallarta is about 500,000 people. So all big, big cities, right? And um, that's where I decided to land. I went there on vacation a couple of times because I like to go different places and try different things. And I hadn't really been to the tourist part of Mexico before. And so one time for vacation, I said, let's check out Mexico. And I found out you can vacation in Mexico more cheaply than just about any place else in the world. I used to go every other year because my wife was from the Colorado Springs area to Colorado Springs, which is an awesome place to vacation. But it costs four times as much to vacation in Colorado Springs as Puerto Vallarta. Okay. And the thing is, when you vacation in Colorado Springs, you're still in America. And everything's still, which means everybody's going 100 miles an hour. And everything still costs as much as Americans pay for goods. All right. In Mexico, everything moves slowly, and it's an entirely different culture and world. Sixty years ago, this is the way Puerto Vallarta looked. It was a little fishing village. And that was probably about all the people that were, the people you see. That you would never see the ocean water with just five people standing in it. Now, it's always crowded down there on the beach because this, right, this is the downtown of Puerto Vallarta. And then 60 years ago, something magical happened. This fellow uh, showed up. Anybody who know, know who this is? Who? Nope. Looks sort of like him. What? No, nope. does look sort of like Leslie Nielsen, but you got to go about 30 years further back. You're too young. That's your problem. This is John Huston, who was a famous director of movies. And he could make movies anywhere he wanted because he was the big name. And so there was a play that had been popular called Night of the Iguana, and he decided he wanted to do a movie based upon it. So he went down looking for a place to set the movie and he chose Puerto Vallarta. There weren't, you had to fly in in seaplanes. There weren't any, even any roads that went in there. 
And uh, so he decided that was the perfect place. And he chose uh, for the leading man in his movie, Richard Burton. You remember Richard Burton? This is also before a lot of your time, but Richard Burton. And the lady next to him is Elizabeth Taylor. Okay, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, And uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor were in a previous movie called Cleopatra. Okay, And during the movie, Burton fell in love with Taylor, which he almost always did with whoever his leading lady was. Both of them were married, but they started a very public affair. Okay, Well, then... Uh, Houston invited Burton to be in his next movie, Night of the Iguana in Puerto Vallarta. But when he went down to make the movie, Elizabeth Taylor was not in the movie. She didn't trust him because he always fell in love with the leading lady, and there were at least three attractive ladies in this movie. So she went down to keep an eye on him. And when she went down to keep an eye on him, they built a high-rise hotel for the paparazzi to live in because they came down to watch her watching him, okay? And, and that's how Puerto Vallarta became a tourist town, okay? Um, is that they built the first high-rise hotel. Then after the movie was over, they went, well, that was nice. That really boosted our income. How, how can we get more people to come down here? The country and the state started building roads so you could actually get in there. They built an airport so you could fly in, and Puerto Vallarta became a tourist spot. Now, Burton and Taylor stayed together after that, interestingly enough. He didn't fall in love with his leading lady this time. And they built their winter home in a part of Puerto Vallarta called Gringo Gulch by the... Uh, by the locals. This is their balcony. You can actually tour the, tour the house that looks out over the, the city. And uh, the, one of the interesting things that happened is there's a church, big church that you'll see, Catholic church, later in the, in the uh, slides that is uh, gorgeous. And uh, Gringo Gulch is right up above the church. But because Burton and Taylor still weren't married, but they were living together, the nuns used to pick at them all day long up and down their street until, until Burton had the head priest guy come and talk to him and he goes, what can we do to get rid of the nuns? And today there's this huge Catholic school that's all connected, all built by Richard Burton to get rid of the nuns from picketing uh, Burton and Taylor. So eventually they get married uh, and they spend every winter in Puerto Vallarta. In fact, they not only, this is like a Casa Kimberly is this house. It's on one side of the road. Then there's a bridge up above, like on the second story, that goes to another little place on the other side of the road because that's where they kept Richard Burton if he was getting ready for a, a film because he was such a drunk that he would get drunk and be unable to do the movie. So they'd keep him over there so he would dry out. But yeah, there are famous stories about this. But he used to like skinny down the like water pole into the river and swim into town to go to the bar. And uh, Peter O'Toole used to meet him there, I guess. And that's a big, big deal in Puerto Vallarta. And they even have bars where they have pictures of him and that. But that's where they lived. Well, eventually they got divorced. And when they got divorced, to put it in Elizabeth Taylor's face, she got Casa Kimberly. So he built a place three doors down his own place with his new girlfriend and they used to have horrendous fights I guess where she would take the dishes and throw Elizabeth Taylor and throw them down the road until there was a pile this big of broken china in the middle of the road and the sanitation department used to have to come and like clean out the road so that they could get by all right so uh there's a lot of Richard Burton Elizabeth Taylor memorabilia down there the first time you heard of Puerto Vallarta might have been uh, in this television program. Anybody remember what? The love boat stopped in Puerto Vallarta. That's the first time I ever heard the word Puerto Vallarta was when I watched an episode of Love Boat. So if you watch any old Love Boat episodes and they're stopping in Mexico, that's where they're stopping, Puerto Vallarta. Um, and so then it became popular for people to go down there and cruise ships started stopping there which was kind of probably not the best thing that happened to Puerto Vallarta, but they do stop there in Puerto Vallarta. Today, the downtown looks like this. This is the giant Puerto Vallarta sign, and that lovely couple that's real tiny, but I had to be way back so I could get the whole Puerto Vallarta. That's uh, Logan and uh, Sadie, his girlfriend, when they were visiting me. Now, what makes Puerto Vallarta a great vacation spot? Glad you asked. (laughs) It's because it's the only place that I know of 
that has two things. Usually, if you're in America and you want to go someplace that's very much not like Rockford, Illinois, for a vacation, you want either A, mountains, or B, ocean. We, you know, Rock River is not a good substitute for that. Okay, hills aren't a substitute for that. Mountains, go to Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, something like that, or ocean. You go to Florida. California, okay? Well, Puerto Vallarta has both of those things. Also, not only do they have both of those things, they have both of those things right in the town. And they have both of those things in large quantities. Um, when I, I took this first picture while I was out running early in the morning because I've been living there partly during the non-tourist season which means the really hot, humid season of the summer, okay? And so if you're a runner, you can't run during the middle of the day or you'd, no matter how good a shape you're in, you'd collapse half the way. You'd, you'd have to be like bringing 12 bottles of water and <laughs> keep putting it down. So I go running about 5 o'clock in the morning because the sun comes up, for those of you who like to sleep in, about 7.30 because it has to come up over the mountains. So when I was running, I took this picture. This is the, the mountains while you're running in the early morning light. I'm not saying you have to do that if you come down, but that's what I do, okay? Uh, when the sun comes up, it looks a little bit like that. Now, if I look out one window, there's mountains. Look the opposite way, you get ocean, okay? And I mean, it's not like, wow, we're an hour from... <laughs> I'm like, uh, if I step outside my door, there are the mountains. If I turn this way and walk an eighth of a mile... I'm standing on the beach of the ocean, okay? The whole tourist spot is a strip along the ocean, and then the, up the hill is where the poorer neighborhoods are, unless you get way up. If you get way up, then that's where the real, very expensive homes are because they have a view of the entire, entire bay, but they can't even walk out of their places because it's so steep. They have to taxi down, and you have to pay extra for the taxi because you're driving about like this. I'm down on the beach on the level. Every, every night, the sunset looks like that. Um, and that's like, it's not like you have to sit out there for an hour with your camera. That's like you got your phone in your pocket, you walk down five minutes, and you walk out there and snap a shot. Every sunset looks just like that. They have awesome restaurants. This isn't where, where I usually eat, but I have eaten at some, some of these. But I usually cook my own meals at home because, as you're going to find out in a minute, one of the things that retirement meant to me was living simply. This doesn't look simple, does it? But if you want to do something fancy, awesome. I actually went to a uh, rehearsal dinner for a wedding that I did, the wedding that was at this restaurant. Very nice. Down on the ocean, you can, like, there are elegant places like this where the tables are set up. This is right on the sand of the ocean. You're like, the water is coming to there and you're sitting there eating Chateaubriand or whatever you get into. Probably not seafood, probably. Shopping is big in Puerto Vallarta. This is like the flea markets where you can buy anything hand handmade and you can do this. You can walk for four hours and not pass the same shop. The Malacone more fancier shops are all along there where the tourists are walking. One of the awesome things that you can do if you're there, mostly in December, but from about Thanksgiving to maybe the middle of January, is I mentioned the Port of Ireland is on a bay. Well, in this bay, whales and um, dolphins come to give, to give birth to their young. And uh, this was, I took this picture off of the balcony of one of the places I stayed one time when I was in Puerto Vallarta. I mean, it's like you're here and it's like out there in the foyer. <laughs> yeah, because you're right on the bay. You're right on the water. They are big into fireworks. And they have them 4th of July style every night. As soon as the sun goes down, the fireworks start. I, I also took this from the balcony of condo I stayed at. I'm not living at, but the one that I stayed at the last time, and that one. Mayan culture is big there. This is a fellow getting ready to do a 
shows just break out on the streets all over like they do in a lot of countries outside of the US and, and they do like Mayan culture shows. Uh, this pole is like right in the middle of the downtown. So you'll be shopping, you'll look up and you'll see five guys dressed in Mayan gear walking up to the top of this pole 200 feet in the air and then they fly down on things and spin around till they get down to the, to the bottom. Hopefully you didn't just eat because it kind of makes you sick to watch them. Marachi bands, big everywhere, right on the street. Shows breaking out everywhere with lots, they use lots of fire in their Mayan shows. Artwork is awesome. Guadalajara is an artistic center in the whole, whole of the world, and it's only like about less than 200 miles inland into the mountains. And so a lot of the artists bring their artwork to the Puerto Vallarta because there are more tourists there. And so they sell their artwork and they do sculptures like these that are all the downtown is nothing but sculptures like this. Here's the church I was talking about. This is Lady of Guadalupe um, Church. Uh, one time, Logan and I um, were out walking around, and, and we, we see a bunch of noise and a, like a processional and uh, musicians playing instruments. And what do you think it is? What? Yeah, it is a funeral. You're exactly right. I didn't expect anybody to get that right answer. You must have seen one. And, they're care and the pallbearers are on their shoulders with the casket walking down the middle of the main street. Like this, with a whole long processional behind them. And they march all the way up to the church. And in. we followed them all the way. We didn't go in the church, but we followed them all the way to the door. Go like, that's the most amazing thing I ever saw. Los Arcos, you've probably seen this on posters. Um, it's a kind of famous poster shot of the uh, uh, Caribbean. And um, it's right in Puerto Vallarta, so it's pretty awesome. If you like to scuba dive or snorkel around those rocks, are awesome places to do that. How many of you fish? I'm not talking fishing. I'm talking fishing. Okay. Because I don't fish because I have ADHD, you know. Can't imagine doing that. That's making me nervous just thinking about it. But I might try this kind of fishing. Those are real fish. That's not make-believe. Those are tuna that guys caught that they took up to eight hours to land, <laughs> to bring to the boat. And you, again, if you go to Puerto Vallarta, you can get a boat and go out for all day. They'll, a guide will take you out and you can fish in the ocean. Snorkeling, this lady's uh, snorkeling around uh, Los Arcos. There are some friends doing hiking. You can hike in interesting places because again, of the mountain stuff and the rock formations and the like. Um, uh, you may recognize this terrain, actually, from a somewhat more modern sci-fi movie. Uh, the movie um, Predator was filmed in Puerto Vallarta um, because it's, it's set in the movie in South America, but South America is too expensive to film in, so they found this place in Puerto Vallarta that looks very much like the Amazon jungle, and that's where it was. You can actually go up and get your picture taken to those of you who have ever watched Predator. Some of you look like you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you have, the, the, there's a helicopter that's big that got killed, torn apart and all gutted by the predators. And uh, when they found it, th that helicopter's still up there. Somewhere I've got a picture of me standing next to it. All right, that's the first section. So, questions about Puerto Vallarta I didn't answer. Only about the city or the country. If you don't ask questions, I move on. Yes, Carol. Yeah, has every one of those things. Uh, yeah, I, I can go one block that way to an ATM, two blocks that way to an ATM. Restaurants, I'd be shocked if there were less than 2,000 restaurants in, in Puerto Rico. It's a tourist town. Yeah, so yeah. And they've got them from, I mean, the ultimate place to eat in, in Mexico is the taco stand. <laughs> the taco stand's... I mean, the tacos are absolutely, if you don't believe me, ask Logan. He eats like hundreds of them more least there. The, fabulous. And I've done like, one time I was with a group of people that were visiting there, and so I took them all out for, for tacos. There were like 15 of us. And I mean, they ate their meal there in tacos. In U.S. dollars, it was probably $20. 
<laughs> okay, I mean, so it's like very, very cheap, all right? Uh, and so that's a great place. But then you've got all the way up to exquisite five-star because some of the top chefs of the world, okay, they retire too. But they want to do a restaurant, so they go to Puerto Vallarta and open a restaurant there. There are restaurants who uh, are um, head chef were in Paris or all around the world doing it. And, yeah, there are some fabulous restaurants to go to. Good question. Yes, Gene? Sports? Yes, they definitely have sports. Uh, sports, in fact, are a big part of their life. Um, but the biggest sport is their football, F-U-T-B-O-L, not American football, soccer, which is, that's pretty much the rest of the world. If you say football in any other country besides the U.S., they're not thinking about Tom Brady. They're thinking about their, their form. They're thinking of Messi. All right? And, and so that's big. They, uh, you, know, you may remember I played lots of men's softball. They have big softball. I played down there when I've been down there on vacation with, because I've got friends who play on teams and they're always needing somebody to fill in or something. And so it's kind of fun. So they have, have that. Um, there is a tennis comp. Tennis is big down there. There's a tennis complex right behind my condo. So I can go out to my, it's my like laundry area and stand there and watch people play tennis all day long. They also use the tennis courts for a gymnastics uh, competition for young people. And I watch that whole thing. I watch people do floor exercises and pommel horse all, all, all day long. Yeah, so they have sports just like, like we do. All right. Well, when I decided, well, maybe I could retire down here, I was moving toward retirement. Yes, did you have a question? <laughs> well... Tortillas are with just about everything, but pretty much the same stuff we do. Yeah, because um, huevos, eggs are big, so they do scrambled eggs and all that. What? Yeah, they do uh, frijoles, refried beans with just about every meal. Yeah. And then they have a lot of indigenous vegetables that it's like I go to the market every day. There's like maybe six blocks away and come back with a couple of big bags. And that's basically, I've been living off of water and vegetables and fruit. So uh, they're abundantly available and the cost is minute. And half the time you don't know what you're buying. Because either it's something we don't have here or it's something they don't know what to call it or to tell you in English what it is. And so you just, just try it. A lot of fabulous and if you try something you don't like, then don't get it next time. So anyhow, I was thinking about retiring down there, so I thought I'm not going to be happy if I don't find a church to fellowship in and to minister through. And I tried actually for a few years. Now, the few years were when I was down there on vacation for a week. So you got one week to do it with one Sunday probably to try to find a church. So I'm looking up English-speaking churches in Puerto Vallarta, I, I tried particularly hard at this one Baptist church to get plugged in. I went to, and they were pretty conservative. I'm thinking, this is going to be a stretch for me, but I'll try it. And uh, so I asked the pastor, I said, I'm a pastor and I'm going to be retiring in the next 10, 15 years. And I was looking for a place maybe where I could do ministry when the time comes. Would you let me help set up chairs, pass out hymnals, do, you know, anything like that? I'll get back to you. Okay, so the next day I came, stopped by and said, did you think about, now who are you again? <laughs> After I tried a few times, somebody said, you know, he's a lay pastor from the United States who's terrified with the idea that someday some actually ordained minister might come down here and take his job. <laughs> okay, and so he's not going to let you, if you'd approached him and said, I'm just a church guy, he'd have probably let you. When you said all the stuff about being a pastor, he was seeing like red flags, this guy's out, out. It's an unpaid job, so why somebody would want to take his job, I have no idea. But that's what he was thinking. So I was getting really discouraged and thinking maybe this isn't a good place. Then I walked by a theater one day when I was out doing something, and I saw a poster on it and said, this week starting a new church in Puerto Vallarta, and it described it, and it actually sounded similar to our church here. 
So I thought, I got to check this out. So I went on Sunday, and after the service, I went up and talked to the pastor, and I said, same thing I said to the Baptist guy, uh, here's who I am, da-da-da. By this time, we also had like a website and a few other things. So I said, here's a website. You can check it out. There's even me preaching on there if you want to hear me preaching. Anything that I could do to help, I'd be glad to do. So I left. I went out to dinner. And uh, after we went out to dinner, I went back to the condo, and there was a call on my phone. And so uh, I looked the call, and the call was him saying, saying, I went to your website. I listened to your sermon. You want to preach next Sunday? <laughs> And so that's the church I plugged into and stayed involved at. And the people are very accepting and loving. If you were wondering where we got the love God, love people period from, we stole it from them. They had it first. (laughs) Rick and Joy are the pastors there. The church meets in rented space, so they often have to move. This was in a restaurant called El Dorado, the first one. This is where they're currently meeting. It's called um, Captain Don's. What's that sound like? It's a bar, yeah. It's a bar, and uh, that's where I've been preaching at, at the bar. And uh, so it's pretty awesome. Praise band like we have. Me preaching. Logan came down, so I put into work. We were doing music outside. All Everything gets put on the Internet because... A lot of the people that are solid members of the English-speaking church are snowbirds. So they're down there during the winter and back in the States or Canada in the summer. And so in order to keep them engaged and make sure they come back when they're done in the States or Canada, they uh, keep projecting to them the messages and the music so that they can be involved. Well, I was down there since April... And so actually, the same pastor has been having me preach like one month, and he preaches one month. And July, he was gone the whole month to the States because he's also from Colorado. And so he was there, and I was doing the music and the preaching. So that's why I'm preaching there with my guitar on because in order to not have to turn around and put the guitar down, I just kept preaching with my guitar on. on. And by the way, if any of you are ever interested in seeing any of that, uh, if you see at the top the www.paradisechurchpv, that's Puerto Vallarta, .org, you can go on there and watch a service. On Fridays, I go to a men's breakfast. Here's what it looks like. We have one. They have one. Here's the condo I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get. Now, I was planning on trying to find a place that was in the neighborhoods because I knew that would be cheaper. And so that was my goal when I got down there. But in the meantime, the pastor at the church said, listen, we had a guy who was leading worship who just came down for the winter, and he had this condo, and a lady in our church is the property manager, and she needs somebody who will go there more full-time. And I know you're moving full-time. Would you like to have a two-bedroom condo right in the center of town, right near the ocean? And I said, well, that's really more money that I was planning on spending, but let me check, see what I can do. And in the meantime, he sent me another one back saying, oh, by the way, that includes your electricity, your internet, your gas. Your... And I'm going like, oh, that's cheaper than it would have been in the neighborhood. So I got this two-bedroom uh, condo. The long shot looks like that. Guest bedroom looks like that. And each bedroom's got its own bath bathroom. Um, the place where I go, I'm doing guitar lessons and leading worship and doing that stuff. So the place where I go to work on my music is this. It's like a three-minute walk from my from my uh, condo. So I, I'm like in rocks that are right out in the ocean. And they call me the guitar guy. Question about life in Puerto Vallarta. Oh, Yes. 800 a month. And that... I have to pay for the... the ga- Everything's on the gas, like tank tubes, you know. And so when that comes, I have to pay for that, and then you have to tip the guy for delivering it. But it's not very expensive. And living by myself, I've only gone through two of them the whole time I've been there so far. And it was like, I think... It was either 200 or 300 pesos 
which that's like 15 or $20. Yeah, I don't have a car because I'm trying to live, starts with S, simply, yeah. So think how much simpler your life would be if you didn't have a car. Think how much cheaper your life would be. No car payment, no gas got a lot more expensive while I was gone, no gas to put in, no insurance, no licensing fees, all that kind of stuff. Now, you got to walk every place, okay, or... Mass transportation, just if you've ever lived in a huge city in America, there are people who live in New York City who've lived all their lives that are successful people who've never had a car. Because, no, no, a lot of them don't have a license because there's mass transit. You walk out your door and walk two blocks and there you pick up them and you learn it after a while. And it's that way in Puerto Vallarta. There are also, uh, where my condo is, I walk down my condo, walk out the door, and there's a, a cab stand. And there are like six cabs sitting around just waiting like vultures to pick people up and, and take them. So it's like you can cab, you can bus. They have Uber and they have uh, Lyft. So transportation is easy. Or you can have your own car. But if you have your own car and you're going to stay down there, you need to get Mexican license, Mexican insurance. And parking is an adventure. Okay. Yeah, I do uh, walking and biking. I'll show you my bike in a minute. All right. Now, when I got down there, I knew I was going to be working with the English-speaking church. That's why I wasn't all that. You kept pressing me. Well, are you fluent in Spanish? No, not even close. Well, when are you going to work on your Spanish kind of thing? It's like not that big a deal because in the English-speaking church, everybody speaks English. In the tourist strip, Everybody's bilingual. Otherwise, they can't, they can't work with Americans and Canadians if they don't know any, any English. Okay? So you could totally survive without learning a word of Spanish if you wanted to. Now, that's not my goal. I want to interact because I thought I was going to live in the neighborhoods, so I definitely would need to there because you won't even see another white face until you get into the tourist area. But um, I didn't know about doing ministry there. Now, the interesting thing was, when I got down there, I met this couple. This is Joel, which is um, Spanish for Joel, and Vanessa, interestingly enough. And they're the pastors of a Spanish-speaking church in one of the poor neighborhoods. And uh, the way I met them was through Pastor Rick. He said, on Saturdays, we do an outreach community breakfast there. We provide the food and volunteers who come to church on Sunday, we encourage them to come on Saturday and help us cook, and we provide, provide the meal. And then they provide tutors for all kinds of people, like people that want to learn English. It's a tourist town, so if you learn English, you can get a better job, because then you can work in the hotels and the like. So people want to learn English, people, uh, mothers who want to learn parenting skills, they have classes for everything. In fact, uh, uh, this is their church building. It's kind of interesting because uh, Hoel and Vanessa weren't, weren't um, born-again Christians. Vanessa was from a Catholic background. This is very old-world, kind of mixed with superstition kind of Catholic. And, um, but, and Hoel was nothing. In fact, he, he grew up in Mexico where there's no programs, no state programs whatsoever for um, children who've been abandoned. And he was abandoned living on the street at five years of age. Okay? That's not uncommon. Now, um, they do have a program, but the program is basically this, which is, so then families who have room just take these kids in. They see them on the street and go like, you can come stay with us. So a family did that for him, okay? But when they did that for him, they had four daughters and they were concerned because he was a boy so they made him, he had to live in the woods outside their house, and they gave him a wolf to be his playmate. He grew up living in the woods with a wolf. Until he was 15, he ran away from home, ultimately learned on his own, and then went to college. He's an attorney today. Okay. His wife's also an attorney. <laughs> and uh, 
it's an amazing story. So then he was kind of a do-it-yourself, I-can-do-anything kind of person as a result of that. And so he got involved in some questionable businesses. He was working with a casino and also a restaurant that was doing all kinds of things under the table. When his wife's family had a problem, his wife's sister was possessed by a demon. And so uh, ultimately when it got totally out of hand, they took her to the priest because that's all they knew. And the priest said to them, well, we really can't do anything about this kind of thing. But if you would give us so-and-so much money, we'd try. And so they got really turned off by, by the Catholic Church and went away for like a year. And then after a year, it just kept getting worse and worse. And someone said, we know somebody who prays for things like this. And they said, well, we don't want to get involved in any nutty things. So they didn't go. A year passed, and things got worse and worse and worse. And so they were desperate, and they called and said, who's this person? We'll try anything. They took her to the guy. He prayed for her for five minutes, cast out the demon, and she's fine. She's fine today. And, and the thing is, so then, as a result of that, Vanessa said, well, I want whatever this guy's teaching. <laughs> and so he was an evangelical Christian, and she started going to church. Eventually, she stayed on Hoel, and he became a Christian as well. So they now have five children, and they have a three-room house. And so they're, they got money, so they're going, we need to build a bigger house. So they buy this structure, this kind of an old rundown former business place, and they're going to turn it into their house. Well, on the second day of doing the renovation work, uh, Vanessa comes in and says to Hoel, uh, last night God showed me in a dream, we're supposed to make this building a church, not live in it. <laughs> well, they argued with her for a couple of weeks, and then eventually said, okay. So they turned it into the, into the church. They still live in a three-bedroom house with their five kids, by the way. And uh, now they have this church. Now, it says on there, Iglesia Evangelica Christiana. But the whole name of the church is so long it's almost unpronounceable. It's like, you know how black churches always have like really long names? <laughs> I do that with a lot of the neighborhood churches there. It's something like this. Iglesia Evangelica Christiana uh, de Fuente Olivas La Via. <laughs> okay. And that means, I'm not exactly sure what it means. All right. So, I hook up with Hoel, and I get to know him. And for some reason, the second time he meets me, he goes, God told me that you're supposed to come here and teach a Bible study. But first, he goes, I have a need. What do you need? He goes, I heard you play guitar. I go, yeah. We have no worship leaders. If I get together anybody who wants to learn how to lead worship, and I get them all guitars, will you come and teach them how to play guitar? So I said, sure. So the next time I come, the next week I come, he's got this pile of guitars. And I mean, they've got the neck broken off. They've got a pole punched in them. They've got like two strings to four strings left, left on them. The bridges are, are broken. And he goes, I got you guitars. <laughs> yeah, you got a guitar like that? If I could fit in my suitcase, I'd take it back to Mexico. So there's me. For two weeks, I put together guitars all day long. I look happy, don't I? All right. So then I started teaching guitar lessons. Now, I'm, I mentioned sometime that I need to get a printer for my computer because I have to write out everything for the lessons for the guitar. And then there are some, there are some of the guitars that I have yet to work on. And then all those guitars they're playing are guitars. Some of them were five different guitars made into one guitar to get enough parts because there's also no place to buy parts. It's not like there's a guitar center there. All right. So that's my guitar class. Here's all the students in the guitar class. And they're learning how to lead worship. By the way, uh, when you came in, you might have heard me doing some songs in Spanish. I've learned most of my Spanish through learning songs in Spanish. <laughs> I'm not sure. So I can't carry on a conversation, but if somebody wants to sing back and forth, we can sing. I teach, then I started teaching a Bible class there. The class started with three people. It now has like 40 in it, and people are coming from all over because they are really hungry for the Bible, and they have no trained teachers of the Bible. The pastors had no biblical instruction whatsoever, either one of them. 
you know, all they had was their experience in Christ. I mean, they're trained as attorneys. And uh, so I teach Bible classes there. And Hoel is an awesome translator. I've worked with lots of translators, and he's as good as I've done. I went with them on an outreach. Um, they then go, they're in this little village. That's what the La Villa on the church means. And uh, they go to a further out place where roads don't even reach. They get halfway there. They park their vans. And then they get out and carry tents to this fishing village, put up their tents, and the next sun, that day, that's on Saturday, they sleep overnight. Then we do church on, on Sunday. And the people just line up for blocks to get baptized. So I help baptize people. So it was getting so the place where the Spanish-speaking church is is about 12 miles away from the place where the English-speaking church is and about 10 miles away from where I live. Okay? So I was walking 10 miles one direction, doing guitar lessons, Bible study, walking 10 miles back. And then it was getting where then the pastor left for America, and so I was having to get back to get ready to set up for English-speaking services, and it wasn't happening. So I said, I'm not getting a car. I already decided that because I'm going to live simply, right? But maybe I should get a bike. So I started going to shops looking to see if I can find a used bike, but the problem is that most of the roads are cobblestone, and they just shake the ever-living life out of a bike and out of your body if you're trying to ride them. So I'm having no luck. In the meantime... A couple that we helped relocate in Puerto Varda because the guy got deported um, and he lives in Mexico, invited me over for dinner. They're doing very well down there and he's managing high-rise hotels. So he invited me over for dinner and uh, I had been all day long as I was coming back from Busarias, another little town where I was doing ministry, I was stopping at every used place that looked like they might have a bike. Wasn't finding anything. I'm, I walk into their house about 10 minutes late because I've been walking like 15 miles. And uh, the first thing they said after they said, Hi, David, was, You don't know anybody who needs a bike, do you? <laughs> and I said, Yeah, I might. Why, you got one? And they said, Our son um, had a really nice bike, but he's outgrown it. And we were thinking about what to do with it. And then we thought maybe you'd want a bike. So we gave it to you. It's like a $1,700 Trek bike. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever ridden a Trek bike before. They have shock absorbers. <laughs> My butt has been saved. If any of you prayed for David's butt while he's in Puerto Vallarta, thank you very much. Okay. So on Saturday, we do an outreach. I mentioned the outreach meal that we do. Here's me helping get ready for the breakfast. Folks that came on Sunday getting together and learning how to put together Looks like they were doing some kind of quesadillas with eggs in them for breakfast. There's people who came. I mean, it's a big, it fills up this whole big room with people because it's free breakfast, which goes big in this little village. Some of the classes that are taught, I thought most of the classes were rudimentary, and then I walked into this little class. The guy's teaching trigonometry. And, uh, and so there was a little girl who's like 10 who's one of my guitar students who was in the class, so I walked over to her and I said, you're studying trigonometry? She goes, yes, I want to be an engineer. And, and I said, that's amazing. Why do you want to be an engineer? And she said, so I can take care of my family. <laughs> I thought, you know, I don't think I'd ever heard that in America. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Another class taught by a missionary. Questions about my ministry in Puerto Vallarta. Now's the time to ask. Don't ask me in the line, please. You know what? I would say nothing has been all that challenging because I didn't know what to expect. So it's all been whatever God has for me. And if you have that kind of attitude, really nothing is, is overly challenging, really at all. I might say... If I really had to think about it, the most challenging thing might be getting used to what you can't buy down there and what you can easily buy and learning what you got to substitute for this or that or the other thing. 
and what I need to bring next time in my suitcase. So that, that might be, but that's not like a very big challenge. That was just making a list. And I, for instance, food is like groceries, one-tenth the cost of here, okay? But I needed a computer printer and computer printer is like 10 times more than you would pay here. So, so you don't buy electronic stuff down there, but you, food and clothes, if you're just trying to live and survive, basically food and clothes, lodging, all those are tremendously cheap. Same, they have Wi-Fi just like we do. I, that's the other thing is that if I'd have been in a village to get your Wi-Fi hooked up, if you're in a place that didn't have Wi-Fi before, which is a good chance because these are very poor neighborhoods where I'd be living, but this one is in a condo that there are Americans and Canadians that live in. They're not going to live there without. And so there's Wi-Fi. It's never gone out one time. I mean, I have more problem here with the Wi-Fi than I do in Mexico. Yeah, Carol. Only Americans and Canadians, yeah. Yeah, no, there will be. The walk along the Malachine is like one of the most romantic walks you can possibly imagine. And there will be 20-something couples strolling down the Malachine, lovely music in the background, ocean on this side, mountains on this side, gentle breeze off the ocean, both of them. You want to walk up, take their phone and throw it in the ocean. Ocean, that probably wouldn't be appreciated, but it's like, yeah, it's a good. So if you've tried to call me and it took me a while to get back to you, that's probably why, because I don't often take my phone with me. Yes, they do. Yep. Yes. No. Very new. Because mostly to expatriates. Typically, people that live there can't afford, maybe like executives and the like. But yeah, no, but more, not too many American. Um, Toyota, Volkswagen, I'm trying to think of ones I walk by, Hyundai, Honda, all those are on the strip as I walk along, I walk by. Can you remember what other ones, Logan? Yeah. Yeah, but they have them, yep, for sure. Yes, they also have some interesting, like, Shops that work on cars that are just like a little hole in the wall out of the, the thing, and they've got it up on two blocks and a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They got those too. Yes. No, no. I, uh, again, in the Spanish-speaking church, I use a translator to carry on a conversation. If the person will work with me, I can get through a conversation, yes. But I don't know half the words. No, I... You, I because it's easier to learn to sing it than it is to preach it. So I had to, for the guitar lessons, learn a bunch of songs, okay? So, because it's no fun, by the way, if you ever take guitar lessons, it's one of the dumbest things. Some of the best guitar teachers teach in a song. When I teach guitar, after the second week, you're playing a song because that's what makes it fun, okay? So then if I'm going to teach that way, I need I couldn't teach them English songs. I had to teach them songs in Spanish. So fortunately, we've got things like Spotify today. And on Spotify, you just go, Spanish worship songs. You go on there. And half of them are songs we do, which helped me, because then I already got the chords, and I already know how the song goes. And it's got, and you can, you, the, you can press lyrics, and the lyrics flow down here in Spanish. And when you get to a word you're having a hard time pronouncing, you just go back and listen to them and go, How's they, how do they pronounce that? And so... Actually, half the time, even when I speak in Spanish well, the other person doesn't understand it because I probably didn't put the accent in the right place, okay? But when I'm doing it off of Spotify, it's being sung by a Spanish-speaking professional, and so they put all the accents in the right place, so I learned to do it in the right place. So then they go, oh, we know these songs, and they love to sing them. So that's where the Spanish comes from. I, I should be better at Spanish every time I come because I, I have to get better. But I'm, that's not like a top of the list thing. Otherwise, if it was, if I would have been presented with ministry down there, that the only way I was going to be able to do it was to get really good at Spanish in a hurry, I would have gone to a, a school that teaches Spanish where you basically spend eight hours a day and you're, you can't do anything besides speak Spanish. But that's really not necessary for what God's having me do. 
I can just learn it as I go. For a vacation, um, flights used to be, I never spent more than 500 for a flight at the most. And usually you could even, if you do it enough in advance, do it direct. This last flights that I did, I had to do 700, partly COVID and partly because I was waiting on a date, so I had to set um, wait later than I normally do to set. So I don't know how much that affected it, but that was that's the most I've ever paid for it was seven, for a round trip. Yeah, and I fly economy. You want to know? They have three WalMarts. Now, Walmart's a little different, and they have a little different products, but yeah, basically, yeah, they have Walmarts if you're into Walmart. What? They have McDonald's. Somebody asked McDonald's. There's a KFC, there's a Burger King, there's Subway, yeah. Yeah, they are. But you walk by them because some, why did they build them? Because there are, well, first of all, the most reason was, some Americans are there, and that's what they think they want to eat, <laughs> which is pretty stupid, but that's what they think they want. So they're a tourist town. They provide people with what they want. And then they probably have some Mexicans who've seen Taco Bell commercials. So they, they don't have a Taco Bell, so I can't believe I said that. They've seen McDonald's commercials, okay? And so they go like, well, that's what Americans do, and they want to do what we do. But even when you go to them, they have a different menu. Carl Jr., right? No, there's not. A, I, I made that up. Yeah. They have movie theaters. Yes, they do. And there are a couple of them that do um, Spanish with English subtitles or English with Spanish subtitles, depending on. But if they have like eight shows, they might be repeating the shows in a couple places. Then they have them in the various various ways, Spanish, English, or, yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've been to one at one time when I was vacationing down there, yeah, we've been to one, uh, but I, that's not anything that I do now. Uh, American football, yeah, um, the kid whose bike I took, <laughs> he plays American football, so they have American football, yeah, but it's not big like the other kind of football, Mexican. Yeah. You'd have to either A, find a way to buy it down there, or B, drive it across the border. So it is available to buy Yes. And you probably would be buying used. That's probably the easiest way to get. Most of the guys I know, I know a number of people who play like in restaurants, and they have, have their stuff, and they've all like put it together here. Remember how we used to put together equipment back 50 years ago for bands? That's a... There are so many things that are in Puerto Vallarta that are just like they were in America 50 years ago. And that's one of the things, it's just like that, where they're rigging stuff and say, I can put this cord and connect it to this with a little, anybody got any duct tape? Yeah, exactly, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that that goes on. I went way past my time, so we need to stop. So I'm going to pray if that's all right, and we'll close. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to think about people around the world who need Jesus just like we do. And so we're asking, Lord, today, help us to remember to pray for Mexico and to think about the people of the world and their need for Christ. And as we think about things like retirement or slowing down or changing our values, that we think about what you might store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. You can come and visit me if you want. I can take one or two people in my guest room as long as I know ahead of time. Don't just show up. I have decided to follow Jesus.